Welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast, where marketers come to look themselves in the mirror and discover how to unlock their superpowers. In this season opener, I introduce this season's new co-host, Jeff Livingston. We get real and let you behind the curtain of our fears, our rise to marketing fame, and what caused us to start looking in the mirror honestly. Jeff Livingston is the founder of Livingston Campaigns and Livingston Photography. He's a marketing leader, a buzz creator, a published author, and a social fundraiser. As an online marketer and social fundraiser, Jeff has helped brands and nonprofits raise more than $225 million online. And now he leverages the gig economy to make CMO-level talent and marketing project execution available for companies of all sizes. You can learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. And that brings us to me. I'm Nicole Kelly, the founder of the Conscious Marketing Institute, a marketing visionary, industry innovator, and quantum healer. I have a track record for creating evolutionary change in the marketing industry. As an early pioneer in social media measurement, I wrote the book, How to Measure Social Media, and created many of the data standards that are still in use today. But then life took an interesting turn, and after three minor strokes and a near-death experience, that were caused from over three decades on the hamster wheel of success, I founded the Conscious Marketing Institute, where we have a mission to inspire marketers to unlock their superpowers, so together we can help humanity step into its full potential. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Hi, and welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast. I'm Nicole Kelly, and I'm so excited to be joined with Jeff Livingston. So Jeff is here as we are taking a look at launching season two. This is the first episode of season two. And I got a vision that I should change the format a bit and really just kind of open myself to whatever that was. And then ended up reconnecting with Jeff at a conference and one conversation led to another conversation. And here we are. <laughs> there we go, right? And uh, it's a good time for me to be on too. I, first of all, I love podcasts. I've uh, done a few of them, never for uh, a super long period of time, beyond like 40 or 50 episodes, but uh, I've done several of them and I really, really enjoy them, whether I'm a guest or I actually host them. And I, I really love listening to a great podcast and uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons that I think that this dynamic is going to be so interesting is because we don't agree on everything, but we've kind of traversed a very similar journey in many ways. And so I thought for this episode, the best way for us to begin, because you're new and we're kind of taking this different approach where this season we're going to add guests to the show and have our conversation in addition to another um, industry pundit to talk about how we actually apply conscious marketing. So <laughs> I think the first story is like, how did we get to this place where now suddenly Jeff Livingston and Nicole Kelly are on camera talking about conscious marketing? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, for me, I mean, I just became available, right? I came out of a CMO job and, uh, you know, I have to, uh, I have to make myself present again. And, um, and that's hard because I walked away actually. And like you had said, uh, we don't necessarily always agree. I think we are there, though, about like 80, 90% of the time. So I, I think it's like healthy differences that kind of really make, uh, you know, uh, what I would call creative combustion almost where you can like evolve. Um, yeah. But in the past, you know, I, I mean, I walked away from blogging and uh, 
communications and uh, that whole thought leadership space. And that's because I really got tired of it. And uh, I also was not happy with how I was being perceived and, uh, and how I was being uh, useful to the, uh, to the industry. And for me, when you do these things, um, uh, and, and I have been a, a top blogger, mind you, back in the 2000s and I've written a few books. So, I mean, for me, I only really enjoy this when I'm useful to the industry and I'm able to be a service, but when it becomes about who's bigger or better or all that stuff, it, it really kind of dwi- uh, loses interest for me. It dwindles, it becomes dangerous from an ego standpoint, actually, and from a fear standpoint, I think, which is our topic today and uh, indirectly. And uh, um, and so uh, I just really kind of got turned off and walked. So when you brought up the whole conscious marketer, conscious podcast thing, and I started seeing it, I was like, wow, this is really awesome. This is more about the way it should be, right? And I think we lost that. We lost that a while ago, and it became uh, much more about who are the thought leaders, who's getting the biggest speaking fee. Not that that's a bad thing, but when it becomes only about that, um, it just, for me, it was no longer interesting. And so consciousness, mindfulness, making great marketing that actually helps people, that's useful to customer segments, that's very interesting to me, and that appealed to my uh, sense of spiritual evolution. Nice. Yeah, for me as well, it's really interesting. Like, if you would ask me two years, just as much as two years ago, maybe even 12 months ago, maybe 12 months ago, I was starting to look back at the marketing industry, but I... I just lost the passion for the industry because I had done such a great job at teaching marketers how to measure return on investment. I realized that I was also like stripping the creativity out of the industry, you know, because in direct mail, you send a letter, the thing that's going to perform most is going to look like a bill because people open it, you know, and it's just not that sexy marketing that we kind of come into the industry for. And then also, you know, I, I kind of like you being on the speaking circuit and being part of, you know, this group that was kind of considered the inner circle. I like, I never really attached to that so much, you know, like that never really fit who I was as a person, but I was put into a group where, um, we could say that lots of egos ran rampant. <laughs> and, <laughs> no. Oh, really? And How's when, that cloud score looking, by the way? <laughs> I know, right? And, and when that is combined with this feedback loop of followers and likes and shares and these metrics that people are using to measure and value themselves on this perception of how the outside how the outside world not knows you but perceives you and so it created this huge like gap between being able to truly be authentic and you know the whole industry was talking about authenticity at the time mm-hmm. and yet i would be in these private like parties and stuff and see so much inauthenticity <laughs> happening right and and a lot of, um, and honestly, like in some unethical behavior, I would say, but also like fully notice knowing and, and being a part of all of that. You know, we've talked about the alcoholism, uh, the sex addiction, you know, the, how, how we are from a health perspective in the marketing industry. And so as I had this unraveling of having minor strokes and looking at my life and finding myself on this spiritual journey, 
like my ability to like have that level of engagement and that, um, and to see so many of my friends and people who I love, like, I just felt like lost. Like I would feel lost in the group of, you know, what are we really doing here? Like we have this responsibility in my heart that we could be making a huge impact on the world. And instead we're staying out till 4am drinking and you know, <laughs> <Doing> whatever, <laughs> whatever. Right. Like, and it's a, you know, there's so nothing worse than seeing the wrong side of Dawn. You know what I mean? When you stay up the whole yeah. night and you see the wrong side of Dawn. Like, which used to be cool when you're 19, but yeah. man, you get to 39, 45. I'm like, man, no, 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 no. Only Dawn I want to yeah. see is when I wake up early to take a picture, man. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, and it honestly like wasn't everyone. That's just the part of the community I experienced because I was within that. And so, uh, so I've been taking a really hard look at, you know, my life and, and what I've done and, you know, what I accomplished and where I failed and <laughs> what really looking at who is the person I'm becoming as a mother, as a marketer, as right. a human, as a member of a collective species that lives on this planet called earth like you know who am i becoming and how am i becoming that and so one of the areas that we had talked about i it was a very deep area i think for every human and that is the landscape of fear and yeah. how fear runs through us and makes decisions and controls our lives a lot <laughs> right well i think uh uh, for me, not communicating was more like, uh, in some ways, about throwing down my gloves and walking away, right? And maybe I couldn't communicate at that time without getting into it with people, um, which I have had a bad reputation for in the past. And, uh, I, you know, I don't want to be that guy. And so sometimes uh, now, uh, you know, even with friends, if I'm too passionate about something, I'll just, I'll shut up, I'll stuff it, you know? And like, I'll internalize that. And, uh, and that's healthier, but it's not necessarily healthy. Um, and uh, I, I would say that uh, part of coming back was overcoming the fear of how I would be perceived, right? right. And fear of what other people think about me. And I, I remember I had this conversation with Shell Holtz, I think it must've been like 2007 where we were talking about what other people think about each other and reputation and blah, 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 which is like this whole influencer bebop stuff. <laughs> that we became amazing experts at. <laughs> right, right. And the thing is, is that uh, back then, I before I became too big for my britches, I, I had an opinion that it didn't really matter what other people thought about me. It's none of my business. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of come full circle on that. It's not that uh, um, I don't care what other people think about me, but I care most about being of service and uh, helping other folks out. And if I'm doing that, then that's what matters. I'm not gonna please everybody. And frankly, in this space and in a, what I would call a social economy, uh, where people are gonna trade on likes and shares and links, and you know what? I don't care if you're popular. If I don't think that your stuff's great, I'm not gonna share it. Just yeah. do it. And that's where I got. And you know what? That's okay. I don't have to be the most popular guy in the room. I'm not in that contest. I'm in the help other people contest. 
And if I keep my eyeball on that, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that, and, and then everything else becomes natural. Right. Um, I, I think like, you know, if I don't agree with somebody, I just don't have to talk about it. You know, I just, that in its own right is paying attention to what matters and paying attention to stuff that I, I personally don't believe is mindful or is valuable. And I think like once you get to that point, you get free, right? Yeah. And when you get free, you can help. How about you? How did you get there? Yeah. I mean, I think exactly, you know, my, my thing is when you get free is when you find magic, right? Because all of this fear of, uh, approval, the fear of, you know, not getting approval or being kicked out of the tribe. It's so, <laughs> it's so ingrained in the marketing community of this fear of being kicked out of the tribe. And, uh, and then also like we are, the marketing messages that we're putting out, teach people to have ego. You know, it teaches them to care about their appearance, to care about other people's perception. You should buy this car because it makes you look affluent, you know? <laughs> Don't get that yeah, tattoo. Like, Go get Harley Davidson tattooed on you because it means something, right? Right. And yet we, you know, really what we're most scared of at the center of it is not being loved and respected for who we really are. Because when you're putting up, all, you know, what I really found is that when I, I was somebody you know, like I, I was always pretty straightforward and honest with whatever I thought, you know, they called me the no BS girl because I would tell you exactly what I thought. I've never, it's not that I have been scared to express myself that came after actually, I found that part of fear in, in the journey of exploration as I started speaking out and talking about spirituality and people started calling me, you know, a little crazy, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, whatever. But at the time, you know, it was very much, it was, um, the fear of being seen and then people not appreciating it. And I think at the core of all of our fears, I think that's the one for me that's at the center is this, this just ingrained fear of being seen for who I truly am and, and, the world and rejected. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I had a couple of scarring uh, moments in uh, maybe 2012 through 2014 that kind of really caused me to um, step back. And one of them was uh, I was speaking at a TED conference, uh, TEDx conference about influencers. And, uh, but not influencers like us, influencers like real people that actually use their network to help other people out and how they can create movements and really change society. Like the stuff that I, I love. And, um, there were a few of us in the third row and they made faces at me the whole time. And I was like being back in middle school, right. Or junior high is what we called it back then. And uh, for us old people, you know, but that really set me off. You know, it really, really triggered me. Uh, I, I probably got, I look at the tape now I got a B plus. I was kind of pacing a little bit. Uh, and I could tell that I was a little bit agitated uh, just knowing me, but I was just, you couldn't necessarily figure it out. You just think that I was overstressed, but that really like, like it sent me over the edge and made me never want to come back. Um, yeah. and it was so bad actually that, uh, the organizer of that Ted, um, contacted me in a, a week afterwards and apologized for the behavior of some of the attendees. Wow. Um, and it's, these were big people, people, you know, 
right? And we're not going to mention names if they ever see this, then they'll know who they are. And congratulations, you achieved what you wanted. I ran away. Uh, number yeah, two, but, but yeah, I'm back. <laughs> well, it's like, I, I mean, I look at that and I think we have this in all areas of our life. So this isn't, you know, about like pointing out individuals Super as you behavior, said, right. but it's like, we are a mirror, like the marketers are a mirror for what's happening in society because we create the societal standards. So if we just look within our own community, we can see what's going on in the world. Right. And, and when you see clicks forming and you see, uh, behavior that bullying, right? That's bullying. Yeah, bullying happen happening, and you see obesity and cancer, and you see uh, you know emotional trauma being lashed out at other people. So we see all of this in our community, and because we're in an industry where perception is everything, we have to become experts almost at hiding how we're feeling in order to fit in or in order to, you know, like the one that always got me is like, you're not allowed to be emotional in the office. Well, guess what? Females are emotional beings. Humans are emotional beings. So we're men, right? I mean, yeah. just the guys are, get to be dicks about it and like look tough, you know? Well, you're not tough. You're being a dick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and right? like, um, you know, Lewis Howes just wrote the book the mask of masculinity by the way which thank heavens finally a man standing up and being like guys this whole thing we call masculinity is is not really who we are we can feel emotions we can be in loving partnerships we can treat people with respect and so like I, I just you see all of that through our community and I think it's just a time for us as I learned in my journey the hard way, it took me, my body physically shutting down and starting to have minor strokes because I was working so hard at making the amount of money I had set in my head and totally given myself this goal. I was willing to kill myself for it, you know? And, yeah. and looking in the mirror and then being like, wow, like this is all the stuff that you saw in high school and middle school being perpetuated on a stage of adulthood with all the implications and, and fallout of adulthood, right? So we're not just talking about not fitting in at school. We're talking about careers being destroyed and, you know, yeah. real life impact. And we, we could do a better job of probably getting our stuff together, I'd say. Yeah, no. The, and the second, the second major thing I just want to share was uh, somebody took credit for one of my major pieces of work and uh, kind of pushed me to the side. And I was just kind of like, wow. And, uh, I, you know, I took the attitude, like, if you want that bad, just have it. And I yeah. walked, but I think, uh, I think it's interesting. You talked about all that pain and almost being willing to kill yourself to get there. And, um, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit when it comes to fear, uh, is courage, mm -hmm. right? And courage is people say to be, you can't have fear and faith at the same time. Right. And, um, I disagree. You can have courage. You can walk in the face of fear. Yeah. You know, courage is acting and doing the right thing in spite of your fear or because of your fear, maybe even. Um, and I think like one of the things that after you meditate and whatever your source of spiritual strength might be, uh, for me, I do a lot of Zen meditation, a lot of breathing, uh, a lot of peer discussion, Lead, I read a little Pima, a little Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, I mean, everybody's got their thing and I'm not here to judge you for yours and well, you can judge me for mine, but it, as you can already tell, I probably don't care. Mm -hmm. I, I got to keep walking my path here. But, uh, 
I think once you find that strength and that inner presence, right? And yeah. clearly, clearly, clearly you have found it. Uh, and it's really um, uh, attractive in a spiritual sense, right? It, you can mm-hmm. see kind of like this aura of light almost, you know? And uh, I think when you find that spiritual essence, then you can stand. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, right? Like, I don't really feel one way or the other about how you like or dislike this thing. And when I do feel upset because somebody said something or thinks this way about me or whatever, which is really uh, uh, young in a way, uh, as we have discussed, I kind of, I meditate on why is the reason for that. Are you loving what Jeff is laying down? You should hire him. Learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. I really like seeing something happen that impacts people. There's nothing quite like building a product or a service or helping a cause where you get to see the customer or the end user really feel awesome or smile because this changed the way they think about the world. When you do something like that, that has lasting impact. And there's only three types of campaigns you can buy, fundraising, product launch, or some major corporate initiative. Learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. Short and sweet. That's just the way we like it. Now it's time to get back to the show. I meditate on why is the reason for that. I, I look at fear now as more of what what is this thing? Am I just thinking and am I just getting in my own way? Should I just let it go? Or am I actually letting this thing motivate me to behave or act in a certain way? And is that smart? You know, that, that's more the way I process that stuff now. And I think it's actually tremendously empowering. I think it, it puts you almost uh, from moving two-dimensionally emotionally and on an emotional basis to three dimensions, right? All of a sudden, you're able to see up and down as well as forward, backwards, left, and right. And that lets you operate on a much different level. Right. And we've had, I mean, we know that emotional intelligence is the difference between really successful leaders and those who struggle and really successful business owners and those who struggle. So we like, it's, we have all the data to show that suppressing our emotions as a community isn't healthy for anyone. And as, as I looked at my own life, and I looked at the fear I had, I was, you know, I was faced with mortality at 37 years old. So I was told, you know, you could die in a year and you have three kids and you have, I think I had nine employees at the time I was running a company and I had big dreams, you know, like, so I had big dreams on top of that. And like really looking and saying like, wow, like if I wake up in the morning and I ask myself the question, like, if you were going to die today, is this what you would do? And I would look at my to-do list and I'd be like, no, I wouldn't be writing another blog post. I wouldn't be, no, I wouldn't be doing these things. I wouldn't be fighting so hard to build a vision that I see 10 years in front of me if I know 10 years doesn't exist. Right. So it really, um, it shook me at my core in a way that I couldn't, I, I could never unsee that question again once I saw it. And 
then I started to look at fear. So I looked at the fear of death. I looked at the fear of life. You know, it was it, quite frankly, there was a very significant period in my life where I felt like it was much easier to die than to try to come back from this hole I felt like I had put myself in where I'd sold my company. I had no income. I was near homeless. Like, you know, I, like that trying to stand up again felt like more energy than I physically had. And, and then even just recently, like, I, you know, I did the big fears right in the beginning, you know, fear of death, fear of life, fear of love, fear of not being loved, you know, all of those. And then even now, you know, I'm finding these like subtle ways that fear comes up. Like even as we're doing this project and I'm working on launching the conscious marketing and and I'm looking at this thing called consciousness in an industry that I'm not sure where the level of conversation is. Like this is, I talk to people one-on-one -on -one and we, and, and immediately it's like when you start talking about your own spiritual practice or uh, that you meditate or something like that, it's almost like a light goes off in people because they just are <laughs> searching for someone they can talk to about it. We're like in a spiritual closet, you know, and, and perhaps right. that's the next coming out is people being able to openly talking about talk about their connection to source and their connection to spirit, whatever their beliefs are. Right. And so like my whole fear of coming back and, you know, like uh, one of my close friends, you know, was just like, he one time told me that he's not into all my crazy stuff, you know, so that I could talk to him, but like, <laughs> you know, like basically like, don't bring your woo woo here. And I was like, <laughs> like your woo-woo and I was like I wasn't even super woo-woo with the guy like he had no idea the other level of conversations that I had you know so I think that there is this like kind of fear like how's the community going to receive a conversation that is essentially saying hey guys we need to do our own work because we're affecting every human on this planet Right. with what we're doing and what we're putting out and will it inspire people will it cause more fear will it right. will we pick up that inner 13 year old who gets offended and and responds by bullying somebody or you know will it be your 21 year old who goes out and and gets you know shit faced drunk because it's the way that you know how to numb the pain or i i feel like we have we have this tremendous opportunity as a community to come together and face our demons, if you will, to face right. our truth and look at our truth directly in the eyes and say, every marketer who has a healthy sense of awareness of their physical plane, their mental plane, their emotional plane, their spiritual plane, and eventually we'll get to the quantum plane, which we could have probably have a whole episode about. And because when we if do that's that the episode, everybody unsubscribes, right? Unsubscribe yeah, now. Right. Quantum, that's quantum, skip, skip. That's the, woo -woo one. that's the one that would probably be called woo woo, but science is it's the woo -woo podcast. So it's quite beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but you know, being able to like, being able to tap into our unique abilities as humans, like we are superhuman and any story or any person who tells you that you're not simply can't see it because we all have access to 
what today would be considered superhuman abilities only because people aren't tapping into them, not because they aren't innate in all of us. Right. We, we know very little about the mind still. We, we probably know probably 1% of the actual medical mind. Um, it's really interesting you say that because I think that uh, the whole woo-woo thing is pretty interesting. And it gets back to, there's a word I would use for uh, uh, our space, which is very judgmental, judgment. Mm-hmm. And I think like we judge each other and size each other up and tell one another which side's better, which one's not, what's the best way to do this. You look like this, like that. I'm going to judge you for being spiritual or uh, talking to your God or your, uh, uh, your incense sticks after you have strokes and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it's just more of the same uh, problem. You know, and what what the real issue I think with the space is it's become very homogeneous, if you would, and it has groupthink. Um, yeah. And you and I have had this conversation before, and you know, people call it the echo chamber or whatever. But when I was out of the space and I was working as a CMO and I would talk to my peers, I mean, we would look at the marketing blogger space and just be like, whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. go. Thanks for the fifteen ways to use Instagram. Oh, thanks for telling me how to use my marketing automation system that you've never, ever implemented before. Oh, thanks for that whole, you got an A-B test message. Yeah, we don't get that here. And, and I think that like there's a, um, just a, a lack of pragmatic uh, life experience that mm-hmm. comes with that space to some extent. And uh, when you become uh, aware or enlightened or whatever word you want to use for it, um, all that stuff is like ripping an onion layer off. Okay. It's just gone. It doesn't matter. You know, you're in a different layer and level of work. Yeah. I got to compel my customer. Yeah. I got to use all that testing. Sure. That Instagram post might've been interesting on a tactical level for this month until they change it three months from now. But you know what? This isn't really helping me become a great marketer. And what a great marketer does is it is they move beyond they move beyond the data. They move beyond the practice, the best practice or the method of using a tactic. And they understand their customer and they compel them. They compel them with something that's meaningful to them and they embrace them and they create a community or a family. Right. I, I think the word community has become like kind of beaten into the ground. It doesn't mean anything. But when you think of your own personal community, you have people that care about each other. Okay. When you have a great brand or a great marketing effort, people give a damn about that thing. And you yeah. know what? I don't care how freaking good your data is. Okay. You can have precise bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> We've got to figure out how we're talking to other human beings and where now we're creatively inspiring them. And if we're not doing that, then we're just suck on a more precise level or we suck with the best, pra- we suck with the best practice. We right. best practice suck in an Instagram gallery. Woohoo! You know, we don't stand out because we're all the same, right? Like the, we're all doing the best practice. So nothing is rising out of the top because we're all doing the same things. Marketing is a people game. Marketing is an yeah. emotional intelligence game, and we've we've lost that path. I swear we've lost that. And so when I hear what you're talking about, and I hear uh, you know how real life experiences bring you closer to people and understanding the way that we're our impact on each other 
and the way we communicate with each other speaks to the soul, speaks to the mind, speaks to the heart. Yeah. That's, that's marketing. That's the kind of stuff. Yes. And I'll, I'll drink that Kool-Aid every darn day. Give it to me. The Conscious Marketing Podcast is sponsored by the Conscious Marketing Institute. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Are you ready to go further? Check out the latest free masterclasses and upcoming courses. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. And now let's get back to the show. Speaks to the soul, speaks to the mind, speaks to the heart. Yeah. That's, that's marketing. That's the kind of stuff. Yes. And I'll, I'll drink that Kool-Aid every darn day. Give it to me. Yeah, that's that's bigger than a, you know, Super Bowl commercial, right? Like right. being able to like access and move someone emotionally and hopefully moving them emotionally in a place that is forward progressive and is moving them to closer to the thing that they most want. And I would say, you know, just looking at this word we call love, right? And how it's been used in Wait, our did industry. Did you say the L word? I got it wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like how it's been used in our industry and and has in so many ways become tainted mm -hmm. because it isn't used to show love. You don't love a diamond. You don't love, you know, a flower. You love an experience. You love a person. You love the first time you see your child. You know, these are these are moments of unconditional love. So when we wrap stories of conditional love around a word like love, it taints it. And so now as an industry, like you can't use the word love and elicit the true love emotion. You have to switch because it's everyone now has different ideas of love. I don't even know how that happened, that we're so disconnected from our heart that we've created different definitions of what love is. And we've decided that it comes with strings versus being seen authentically by another human being. Right. Right. You know, one of the most beautiful pieces of marketing I've seen this year, and I'm sure it's been talked about a ton, but was the whole Starman thing with Elon Musk, you yeah. know, and it was so freaking brilliant because you know what? It didn't have a call to action. It had no data associated with it. Although I'm sure they had plenty of data going on their website that day, but you know what I mean? The whole idea of like this incredible red convertible and the dream of being in space all combined with like David Bowie, who almost everybody loves now that he's dead, of course. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was just mythical. It yeah. was mythical and it spoke to the spirit. Yeah. And uh, I think like, people fail to understand how things like that really compel us in a different way. Like who doesn't dream about being in space? I personally don't think I'm ever going to buy a Tesla. Okay. Yeah. I will always have respect for Elon Musk after that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think like, you know what? I said the same thing about GMC products too. And you know what? I own a GMC today. So yeah. you, you never know how stuff like this is going to work out. And I think like when we get back to the attitude of paying it forward and building brands that are karmic and um, uh, do the right thing because that's what you're supposed to do, kind of like Warren Buffett's companies do, yeah. um, I, I, it works out. You know, yeah. you, you just got to understand, you know, customer segments get burned all the time. People are weary. So when they see somebody or a brand acting in a different way like this, 
oh my God, man, they are so attracted to that because we want to be a part of something. We do. We want to be a part of something in our personal lives. We want to buy something that we feel like we could be a part of. Yeah. Uh, we all talked about this stuff 10 years ago. We got away yeah, from we it. All, we all want to have an impact. As a marketer, we want to have an impact. As a parent, you want to have an impact. As a customer, you want to have an impact. Like We're all looking for that way that our day means something bigger than ourselves. And that's why, you know, the conscious company has, has kind of risen out of nowhere, right? Like the buy one, give one model is now considered a conscious company. But I mean, obviously we need to evolve. <laughs> it's not supposed to be a copy and paste approach to having impact. But, you know, we inherently in our soul want to be of service to other people. And so everything that you were saying about wanting to be in service, like this is what I have found is that when you use your emotional guidance system to navigate your life, if you really want harmony in your life and you want fulfillment and satisfaction, then you have to tap into your emotional body and understand that you move towards the things that feel really fucking good all the time, unapologetically. Right. And when you do that, you then start to create that in your life over and over and over again, because what you do is you perpetuate how you feel. And in marketing, as we look at things like using emotional marketing, if you will, where we're tapping into that emotional response, there is a incredible responsibility to understand the emotional body and to have done your own work before you start playing with people's hearts. Because if you look at what's happened where our generation of marketers has been in market for what, 10, 20 years now, right. go look at the stats over the last 10, 20 years for obesity, for depression, for suicide, for uh, ADHD for like, I mean, it literally you could go down and you could say that, well, part of that is because we're doing a better job of getting help for mental illness. And that's a beautiful story. But part of it is also that we are a mentally ill society perpetuating mental illness through our messaging. And instead of openness and honesty and be yourself, man, because like all those masks that you wear, trying to be someone that you're not, like every single one of them carries an energetic weight on it. And that's what you're holding in your body. And it may present itself as physical weight. It may present itself as depression. It may present itself as misalignment, making erratic decisions. I mean, it can present itself in a variety of ways. The only question is, how's it presenting itself in your life? And for me, it was presenting itself as weight. It was presenting itself as an addiction to money, an addiction to sex, and an addiction to alcohol. And, and that's, that's how I coped with all of the misalignment that was in my daily experience, trying to be somebody that I wasn't. Right, right. No, it's funny how uh, I've made some really bad decisions based on fear of money and fear of uh, perception. Um, you know, I've already talked about a couple of the ones with perception or ego, if you would. But, uh, you know, with money, I've definitely made some bad decisions, you know, and uh, I've been afraid to follow the heart, you know, and, uh, and you know, I've instead taken deals where I thought I had to do it because uh, I had to make uh, some bread for a family. And I don't want to demean that. There are a lot of people that do 
work that they absolutely freaking hate, but they have to do it to bring their bread home to their family. And there aren't other jobs. There aren't other opportunities. But the reality, I think, for me is that I probably haven't done the work to find the jobs or the attractive opportunities that would allow me to really be useful in the ways that I can be. Uh, because I, I, I simply took jobs because I wanted the money, you know, and yeah. I wanted to make my family feel loved and taken care of. Right. And, you know, uh, sometimes it takes character development and pain <laughs> to yeah. not do that again. Like I, I, I looked at an opportunity last week that was really high paying and would have taken me further than where I was before, but I can already tell. It's just not aligned spiritually. And then I have to have that conversation with myself. Yeah. Uh, do I want to be a part of this culture and surround myself with it? And uh, in some ways become poisoned by it, right? And knowing that you're going to be poisoned about it. And when I've been in cultures or moments like that, it sometimes takes me an entire weekend to recover from the week. Just yeah. to get myself in a spiritual place where I can go back to, I'm here to help out. I'm yeah. here to make a difference. I'm here to change things if they need to be changed, right? Or to just toe the line. If I need to toe the line, I'm like a bunch of envelopes. Whatever it is, right? <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Um, and uh, no man or woman is too uh, proud to carry the trash in my house, you know? I mean, you just got to do it. Um, but uh, I, I think that, you know, when you have that character building, when you've had those painful moments, when you realize how that decision-making caused you to ignore red flags, and put yourself in situations which are not healthy, right? And are like, sabotaging your life. Then you lash out. Like one of the things that happened to me uh, recently in the past few years, I actually quit smoking cigars. I smoke a cigar a day right now. And like, mm -hmm. it's funny. I, I, I'm more and more thinking about, okay, what I'm going to do to walk away from this? Yeah. How am I going to get there? I, I think I'm pretty close to going to the drugstore and getting some Nicorette. That close like that close not quite there spiritually yet but i'm getting there and that's because i'm recovering and i know that you know but like when you do things like that when you pick up that extra 20 pounds right um and it's not from working out man i go to the gym it's food buddy you know <laughs> it's eating the chocolate covered luna bars that's what it is you know what i'm saying or the your kids kids are a big source of bad food right like, you know that, like, oh, we got to have pizza. Okay, I'll have one too. <laughs> Next and I love it. It's so funny you mentioned that one because that one, you know, uh, for my journey, you know, the very first part of my journey was about getting in shape physically because I had become obese myself. I was definitely 40 pounds overweight and I was having strokes, yet my doctor's telling me, oh, you're not overweight. And I'm like, I eat processed food all, all the time. I'm always on the road. I don't exercise. When I really look myself in the mirror, I see that I'm not the person that I see in my head. I'm this overweight individual that's like morphed into, you know, just like spread out my face a little bit. And, you know, so I, I lost like 40 pounds. I got into the best shape of my life. And then over the last, I would say, two years, I found myself back into patterns of eating for emotional comfort. Like, honestly, like the financial picture got really scary, like really scary, like near homeless. And, you know, having, honestly, having to eat McDonald's because it was all I could afford, you know, and, um, and, and then not exercising because I have no energy because I ate McDonald's because I couldn't afford anything else. You know? right. So all of that, like finding that pattern again, and then like looking at it 
from a non-judgmental place though and being like oh like oh sweetheart like of course you're you're hurting in your heart you're scared you're you know right now that's that's what's going on is you're really scared of not having enough money and not being able to take care of your family and losing your home and losing your car and then you find yourself on the side of all of those things happening literally you know car got repossessed all of those things happened and then being like wow like if i hadn't gone through all of that mm -hmm. i would never have as much respect and uh, passion and courage around talking about things like homelessness and poverty and you know this game of money that we play where we literally like tell people they have to earn a right to live on a planet with free resources that we have all the systems we could be distributing food and housing and education all around the world but we don't because of the name of profit like yeah 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 like those are the conversations I want to like be having at, at this level in my life, you know, a conversation about, you know, 10 ways to use Facebook better this week. If it doesn't talk about how do you create a movement of humans who want to step into their full potential doesn't inspire me. Right. Yeah, but that's what you got to do to become top 10, man. <laughs> I'm going to create a list of 10 conscious marketing practices or something. <laughs> right, yeah. But, you know, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment, you know. And, uh, uh, I mean, one of the things that you see with money and food and exercise as well as some of the other addictions we've talked about, like booze and drugs and sex and all that stuff. But what it all seeks to do is fill a hole inside of you. Right. right. It's all about something sucking up the, uh, you know, and sponging up that hole inside of you, making you feel good, a cigar, whatever right. it might be, you know, going to the gym, uh, all that stuff. I mean, like exercise is like kind of like the devil that nobody wants to bash on, like, because you always look great, right? Right. But like, you can literally exercise your way into feeling good because you're doing that endorphin dump and mm -hmm. you, uh, you're acting like a, a, a criminal. You know, <laughs> and I've seen people do that. Like, like, you know, they'll work out two hours or three hours a day, whether they're in the gym or running or biking or whatever, they're swimming, whatever you're doing. Right. And then you're like screwing people, putting knives in their back and, you know, like, but I got mine, you know, it's like. And judging people for their own body shape or their own lifestyle. You know, it's so right. easy to, it's, it's so easy when we're hurting inside to look at someone else and find their faults. Right. And. And we've all done that. We've all been on the side of hurt where immediately we turn it and we say, well, this is what's wrong with them. Pretty and in doing that, the key is that whatever you see in someone else, you have. Right. Because you can't see it unless you have it. So if you're judging someone else for what they're doing, it's because there's a piece of you that's holding on to some level of fear around what it would mean for you if that were you. Right. If I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And if turning that inside. Me, right. Like when I see somebody, I mean, this is a perfect example. When I see somebody like wanking off on their phone right? <laughs> or, or they're like eating or doing whatever they're doing in their car and not paying attention to the driving, right? It drives me crazy. It's probably because I do it too. Yeah. 
And it's something you obviously want to change about yourself, right? Yeah. Or it wouldn't drive you crazy. And it's kind of, and, and when you start to understand like, oh, it's annoying me because there's something there for me and my soul is trying to get my attention by showing it to me, you know? Right. And I'm seeing this totally unconscious driver, you know, drive aggressively because it's going to trigger in me that maybe I could, I could drop back my own driving a little bit, or, you know, right. maybe I could stop texting while I'm driving and... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, then like, I find that my experience as I've switched the lens of looking out to looking in, I found my life much more enjoyable. Right. Especially when I stopped doing stuff that I wasn't proud of when I turned the mirror in, you know, like for much of my life, it was about just total, like, um, ignoring it, like pretending it's not there. You know, I had a significant amount of childhood trauma and I just pretended like it didn't even exist. Right. And it never affected me. But like my dad committed suicide when I was nine years old, you Ooh. know, like that affected hey, somebody. That's big. I, you know, he, like when I was six years old, uh, he and my mother got divorced because he had sex with a woman in the same bed I was in. I was yeah. molested as a child. I was raped. Like I had all of these massive traumatic experiences, which all happened to get me to where I am now, but were completely unresolved inside of me. Yeah. And I just kept pretending like I was, I, I was okay. And like, it wasn't affecting me. And because I wouldn't allow my mind to go there, I felt that meant that it wasn't controlling me. But then when I look at my fears and I look at what I'm seeing in other people, it's like, Oh, look, I judge that person because he reminds me of my father or I'm scared of opening my heart to a man because I'm terrified that he's going to abandon me because I have daddy issues that I refuse to address. And you know, all of these things, like I'm a sex addict. Hey, Nicole, I have to go. I'm sorry. I was... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I mean, okay. but like, that's, that's the craziness of like, when you become aware of this stuff and you embrace yeah. it, like you can laugh about it now. Right. right? I'll tell you yeah. a bad story about myself, so I don't feel so bad about making that joke. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny you say that because the other day, like, I just was having just a really emotional day. Like, it was the energy, and there was something being presented for me to learn from, and the way that the universe chose to show it to me was like basically having me have a meltdown. And so I have this like meltdown in the car, and. Uh, with my partner. <laughs> and so then afterwards, he's like, like I said to him, he said something like, you really need to control your emotions. And I was like, don't you ever say that to me again. You got to train that boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny part was like, then now afterwards, he's like, he said, I said something like just innocuous to him. And then he turned around, and he goes, don't you ever say that to me again. And he takes this moment of that could have been destructive to our relationship and makes it constructive so that now we can laugh about the moments that you know, we, we get a little into our crazy and we're losing it. And because we all need the space to lose it. Like we need those people around that will let us just lose it. So we can find out what's on the other end. Because what I found on the other end was all the fear I was having over money and security and safety and all of these root chakra kind of things. There actually were solutions for, there were, there were these much better things that I could be doing with my time than what I was doing but I had to have a complete meltdown to get there. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And it's funny. Like um, there's a couple of things that, you know, this thread 
speaks uh, is popping in me or sparking. Uh, one is like, you know, we talked about that bullying incident, right? And Ted, and like, I too had a lot of stuff happen when I was a kid. Like, um, and one of the things that happened was we were the only Jewish family in a Irish Catholic neighborhood in Philly in the seventies. Okay. Okay. We're talking like Goodfellas there. All right. So, I mean, you can probably figure out what happened. We got the crap kicked out of us all the time. We had swastikas painted on our door. Me and my sister got the crap kicked out of us all the time, like once a week. And it just got to the point, you know, probably by the time I was in third grade that I basically, anytime I ran into a bully, man, I was just like, boom, out of there. Right. Run away as fast as I possibly can. I just avoid that situation. And uh, it's not any coincidence with like, you know, when I've run into that in the past, um, I have I have one of two reactions. One is either to, to push back even harder and be the bigger bully or to run away. And, uh, you know, when you become aware of that and you see that, you really can like, uh, you can embrace it in some ways and perhaps not act in it, which is yeah. more often than not, what I, I choose to do is just not act and not participate not run away, but just not participate. Right. Um, but the other thing is, is uh, I think like uh, we were making light of the whole situation. And I think like there comes a point too, where you embrace your humanity. Yeah. And like, I think this is the opposite of judging, right? Mm-hmm. When you understand that I, I am a terribly flawed man. Okay. I am not a perfect human being. I am never going to be a perfect human being. I may, always smoke cigars. I may always text in the car, whatever it is. Right. I may always flip out once in a while. Right. And it just, I progressively become better. I'm like that stone in a river that when it starts out as sharp and over the centuries and millennia becomes a smooth round rock that everything just flows over. And it Mm -hmm. takes time. Time takes time and you cannot rob time of time. But when you understand that, and when you embrace it and when you see yourself and you're focused on you and not everybody else, it becomes so much easier. Yeah. So much better and so much less traumatic, right? It's just, it is what it is. And yeah, I fart too. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, you can really like just start loving yourself, you know, and, and in loving yourself, it is honoring that, I, I like to think that I am perfect. I'm perfect in my path of discovery of uncovering the next layer of who I am and who I am not. Mm-hmm. And because I'm willing to look in the mirror, I can, I can look in the mirror and love who I see. Cause I know I'm willing to look, you know, I at least know if somebody, you know, calls me a racist online, which happened and we'll talk about that, you know, in a, a future episode, <laughs> Like I can look and be like, honestly, like, am I, do I, like, is there a piece of me that holds a racial tendency towards something and then making a conscious decision on whether or not I want to hold on to that or not. And, you know, for many of us, I think we're really living in, we're living in an unconscious world acting unconsciously. And we have an opportunity to begin to transform this world into a conscious world that acts consciously and collectively and that I think that that's how you change the world. You know, we all, I think we minimize, we play small. It's like, Oh, you know, because we talk about ego now, all of a sudden, if you say you want to change the world, you're an, you're an egomaniac, you know, and 
yet we like revere in Steve Jobs who says this is for the rebels, the people who think they're great and even when everybody else doesn't as a summary of that quote. Right. And yet we're scared to be great ourselves. We're scared to stand out and to be true to who we are and to say, this is my unique gift. And if it resonates with you, awesome. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. But I'm going to stick around those that it resonates with because those are the people who are going to come and we're going to change the world together. And we're going to do something really big. And if anything, it's just going to be big inside of each of us. And that's all that really matters. Because if we can have an impact that is big inside of each of us, then that can re essentially reverberate throughout the entire collective. And, and that matters. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I think when we live in this world now where likes and comments or shares or whatever, or loves, if you're on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, um, these things blind us, right? And it becomes really, as you had said, a game of, of minutiae. One of the best things I did for my own personal well-being, and it's like the anti-marketing thing to do. It's probably going to scar my brand, my personal brand for life. But uh, I deleted my Twitter account. Mm -hmm. deleted at 20,000 people. But I just found I couldn't be mindful or use it intelligently. And I thought most of the people that use it don't use it mindfully or intelligently either. Okay. I see it for what it's worth. I have brands that use it and I help them and I support them and I know how to use it well. But yeah. you know what? It's just a bloody like, you know, data game where everybody's getting the retweets, likes and shares and engagement metrics. It has nothing to do very, very, very rarely does it have anything to do with stuff that's mindful. That doesn't mean that it can't have great moments. It does. Right. Yeah. But generally speaking, it's like the, uh, it's like a political vomit show or a political troll show. Yeah. And, and then everything that we do tends to emulate that now. And we cause that, by the way. Right. We cause that in the way yeah. that we built that thing and the way we support it and the way we continue to use it as marketers for our metrics as opposed to uh, uh, demanding that Twitter – break down on the trolls and the bots. And right. there was a huge conversation about that as far as six years ago. Now you look at, you know, I'm not going to say which way I feel about Trump. You can probably figure it out on your own, but you know, look at the things that he cites. He talks about followers, the amount of people that like things, refollow things and how that validates him. Right. We all know differently. We know what's building that thing. Right. Uh, we know where that's coming from. But I, I think that that's the engine that we created without consciousness. And I find, for me, and I know people feel the same way about Facebook now, and I know a lot of people are leaving Facebook, but leaving Twitter allowed me to become more mindful and present in my thought. Uh, I have to communicate differently. I can't just spout out 140 characters or whatever it is now, 280 or whatever. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, honestly, like I found that, I, um, I took an entire like break from media, like talk about anti-marketing. I realized that the marketing and the marketing messages, the, the TV shows, the movies, the music, it was all perpetuating the hero's journey. It was all making me feel like there were villains and victims and heroes. And I had to be one of those three all the Lock time. Away. Lock away. Yeah. But really I was all three all the time, you know? And, um, the Conscious Marketing Podcast is produced by WCR Studios. Want to have your show produced by us? Learn more at WCRstudios.com. Am I striking a chord for you today? You can hire me too. Learn how at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com.
Just click on services. And now let's get back to the show. And so, you know, I, it was perpetuating through everything. So I just basically took an entire break from media and I stopped watching network TV. I stopped listening to mainstream music. I literally only used YouTube to learn something. I started following spiritual leaders and taught people talking about beyond the surface level kind of stuff of like what the soul is and what all of that is that I started using media to learn right. rather than to be entertained. And it changed my life. It's when I really came to head with that. I was struggling with being a marketer because when I turned the engine off, I became a better person right. than when I had it on. And looking at, you know, the addiction, my addiction to phone, you know, and Facebook, how many times do you go on Facebook a day? And just like, because it's mostly boredom. It's, it's just using our time unconsciously to really achieve nothing. And as I started to be more conscious about my time and, and intentional about my energy, I noticed I was shutting off marketing and that kind of like bummed me out for a while because I was like, wow, like genuinely people don't need this and it's actually not making us better. Right. It could in fact be making it worse. Right. And I was like, how do I go back into a world of marketing with that attitude? <laughs> well, you know, it's just, I think when you look at bad brands, right? Brands that people don't like, uh, it's because of this, right? They create this BS, bebop message about how awesome everything is, and then they stick it to people. Right. and Or they don't fall, follow through, or they demonstrate they just don't care about you. And that happens. Right all the time right and one of my favorite brands that i don't have any problem saying this about is american airlines one of my favorite examples to bring this up is american airlines they just don't care about you they don't they don't care they know that you're looking at four or five airlines and they're the cheapest option more often than not at least one out of three situations and if you're a cheap guy about your airfare you're gonna buy it you can suck it up if we suck yeah have a nice day oh yeah we'll give you some lip service on twitter Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like even beyond uh, the service industry, I mean, just look at, you know, like I know we had a conversation one time, I think it was us, there's somebody recently, uh, it might've been us, had a conversation and they're like, you know, if you got a contract from Pepsi or Coca-Cola or Snickers or one of these brands, like you take it. And I was like, no, no. I, I, I feel really firmly that processed food companies and candy companies should have no longer exist in my world and are not helping my daughter in this conversation around sugar addiction and everything else and looking at the obesity rates and the cancer rates in yeah. our society not say that the increase in marketing of processed food does not have some correlation to the level of obesity and cancer and everything else that's happening in our society is just, it, it, to me, it's, 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 um, Huh. It's like, uh, it's like just unacceptable to me to not to start to look at that stuff and Absolutely. Be able to walk and, and, and to market for that company, knowing that what you're selling on the other end of it is going to make someone tired. It's going to likely cause them to gain weight that they wouldn't otherwise gain isn't even food is chemicals that are being packaged and sold as food and is perpetuating a society who eats on the go rather than sitting down and having a family meal. Like there's no way I could 
I could be a part of that unless that company was coming to me to say, Hey, we want to change. We right. want to, like, we're as Nestle, we don't want to steal water from Portland residents anymore. We actually want to, to be conscious about our sourcing and things like that. Right. Well, unless it's like, uh, so one of the, um, so one, yes, I agree. And I would say that my comment beforehand about like taking on business that I probably wouldn't take on unless I was just basically thinking it would make me look good or um, I needed the money. Those types of decisions, like once ended me up in the boardrooms of Altria, you know, <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> and like, I get it. There are a lot of good people that work there and you know, there are mindful people that work there too. And, but still, it's just not right for me. And I, I never, ever forgave myself for some of the stuff that uh, occurred to get me there. Um, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about uh, when it comes to this is there are good sides to it, right? Like one of the best programs I got involved with was uh, Audi's Carbon Offset Program. That was a sick, beautiful, amazing project, which is landed me in a landfill in the middle of Utah. And then I was in Kenya, but I was seeing like how carbon offsets work and things like that is mindful. And I'm all for brands that are willing to invest in that kind of stuff. And I want to encourage that. So, you know, like when I see like a Coca-Cola doing like polar bear initiative or whatever it is, even though they're kind of doing it as a cause marketing CSR, perhaps just to put a halo around their brand. I still appreciate that investment. And I think that's the kind of stuff we got to encourage more of. It's almost like they're faking it, but we have to encourage them to fake it till they make it. If that makes any sense. Right. Um, you well, know. and also because we have so much, they do have so much impact and so much influence over society that if a, co- a company like Coke or Pepsi, any of the soda manufacturers, like really, really truly went natural, holistic, drinks that would fuel your body versus deplete your energy, all of those things and cut out and literally, you know, Ford just walked away, uh, walked away from a bunch of its car lines, right? Like if one of the soda manufacturers walked away from every sugary product that they've ever made, no matter how popular their brand was and said, no, we're going to give you water, really good sourced water instead, or we're going to give you coconut water or whatever. We've created hundred percent whole juices that are you know amazing and give you energy and that's what we're going to start serving people because we feel responsible and actually want to do something about it we're going to be a part of the change that this world needs then you know that's a brand that people are going to stand behind because that's not an easy decision especially in the face of shareholders right you know you're looking at things like stock price and you know, all of these things that a lot of people don't take into account of the pressure on these companies to continue to perform. Oh, it's crazy. Quarter after quarter, you're supposed to have more profit and more sales in a world with, you know, only seven and a half billion people to buy, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's funny. That's like one of the reasons why I really admire Warren Buffett, because he has the courage to just tell people, this is the way Berkshire Hathaway does business. Right. And if you don't like it, don't invest in us, because this is how we make profit here. Right. This is our methodology. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because Coke's and Coke and Pepsi are both really in trouble right now. I heard a story today about how they're boosting their advertising and trying to get their customers back because of the whole health food craze and all that stuff. And I was thinking to myself, Coke, of all the brands out there right now, should be talking about its water products and honest, uh, honest kids and honest tea and the brands that they've bought to cater to that marketplace and say, hey, you know what? 
people are right. And that's why we bought these products. And that's why we're going to start putting more marketing dollars behind this stuff and try to move our customer base over. That to me would be like an incredibly savvy, present, yeah. conscious marketing decision. But instead they're like, hey man, we've got a co-product for everybody. You want right. to be fat? We got Coke sugar. Yeah. You, wanna, you don't want to be fat, but you want chemicals to rip up your gut? We got Coke Zero. <laughs> you know, you on and on use, and on. You can use Coke on your car battery to clean off the acid, or you can put it in your body. You know, either way, we're cool with it. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just brings up like we're having a conversation about fear, right? And the fear is that when you're setting a totally new standard for what success looks like, and it doesn't look for us anymore, like the name of the brand or the amount of money that we're making or how big our houses are, but it looks like how many people have we helped today? And this new form of billionaire, which is not a billion dollars in the bank, but is a billion people's lives that you've impacted. That's, that's a new bar of success that, quite frankly, it requires a new level of access to truth and to who you are and to be willing to stand up in the face of adversity and in the face of scrutiny and say, you know what? Go make the millions. Go make the billions. I'm going to have an impact with my life, and, and it's going to feel really good to me because when we help each other and we serve humanity – it just feels good. It opens the heart of the person on the other end and it opens your heart at the same time. If you have ever, you know, like one of my favorite things to do is, you know, when I see a homeless person on the corner, depending on, you know, my current level of resources, I like to give them like $11 or $22 or, you know, enough that they can get a meal and have fun with, but I don't tell them how to use it. I really don't care how they use it because it's not for me to decide. I want to provide them with an opportunity to do something that would feel good for them. And, you know, some people are like, wow, you give them that much. And I'm like that much, like, $22 is what I, you know, used to, I would spend on lunch in a day. You know, I would waste hundreds of dollars a month on alcohol. And instead I'm turning it to support another human being who legitimately could use it. Obviously people don't go stand on street corners because it feels good. They right. do it because there's something going on. They are something broken. Something's broken somewhere in the chain. Yeah. It may have been losing a job, but right. you know, whatever it is. It might be medical. I mean, I, I ran an experiment personally because I was really curious about homelessness and almost facing it myself. So I did a two-day experiment in my you know, journey of self-exploration of using experiments to decide how to move forward. I went homeless for two days in my own community to see what resources were available. And I talked to, you know, probably there was 100 homeless people in the community. We lived in a very small town. And 95% of them was a medical bill that literally put them under and their whole family was homeless, or maybe they had a house, but they couldn't afford to eat, or they didn't have access to medical care. So they literally, their bodies were failing despite having doctors on all four corners of the street. And you just, you start to like get a real picture of humanity and that 50%, more than 50% of our population lives on less than $2.50 a day. And we are incredibly abundant in America, but there are still people in our own country who don't have housing, who don't have food. And that is a, that is a basic needs issue in our planet. And, you know, there are tons of research, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, shelter, 
safety, love. Like these are the core things that are required to get to self-actualization where you actually might have the potential as a species to evolve into your highest opportunity. Why would we continue to perpetuate something that's keeping more than half of our society at a place of disadvantage when we know that we can't, like our biggest opportunity is for everyone to be activated into their highest potential around the world. Right. And can you imagine what the world would be like and what we would create and what we would do with technology and innovation and science and space exploration and all of these things if we could just get to a point where everyone had their needs met? I know, it's scary. It is scary. And like you're looking at a uh, time where people feel like those benefits that we give to people should be cut. So to motivate people to go do more and yeah. get out of the street. And it's, uh, it's just a complete failure to understand what actually creates those moments. Right. Uh, and well, it's it, that bullying, right? It's that bullying of saying, like, you're not worthy. Or because tough it up. Tough it up. Yeah. <laughs> go, like, I, I remember one time uh, when I was, like, because I went through this, like, two-year cycle of suicidal depression after my strokes. And... Uh, you know, I had my ex-husband's wife stand up and yell at me at court and yell at me and say, go get a job. And I'm like, my whole fucking world is falling apart right now. I don't even know who I am. Like no. I, to tell me to go get a job is like literally a death sentence for me. I don't know if you recognize, but I almost died from overwork. Like, right. <laughs> so like, there's just so much insensitivity towards the humanness of it. Another and this competition, like it's me or you, and we're living in survival mode, but yet we have all of the assets that we need to thrive as a species. So as we look at fear and as we look at marketing and how that fits, I would say the one thing that we could have a huge impact is unraveling and dis, I would say, um, dis removing, if you will, any, anything that tells a human that they should care about what someone else thinks about them or right. they are not capable of anything and everything that they've ever wanted and that, that your product has nothing to do with my worth as a human being. Right. I think that huge up level just in and of itself. Right, but it also gets back to not being mindful and not judging other people and not having compassion. When you don't have compassion for yourself, you can't have compassion for anybody else, right? Yeah. You can't take care of the world if you can't even take care of yourself. And, you know, taking yeah. care of yourself, we're told us to be that, that, that miser, that, that person that's like racking up everything and taking it and holding it and saying, I'm the biggest and the best. And I got the most and you don't. Well, great. Right. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to come see you in your graveside because of that. Right. And also like we're seeing that it actually doesn't matter, right? Like just look at people with fame and fortune and status, right? Look at our celebrity population and how many we think have this like perfect ideal life because we think money solves all problems. And so if we get access to money and fame and fortune, then, you know, we're going to, everything's going to be happy. Well, what I've found is in fact, it just wherever you're at. So if you're unhappy and depressed and then suddenly you're a millionaire, you're going to be an unhappy, depressed millionaire who has now money just to try to buy happiness. And well, at the end of the day, or if you're famous, you got everybody all over you. Right. And then right. you put yourself in your own prison. 
Right. And you feel like everybody wants you because now of your money, not because of who you are. Like I, you just see this, you know, you see someone like Robin Williams commit suicide. Oof. Like what? What about Chris Cornell? Come on, Chris, get some help, man. Don't let that depression do that. I know. I, I've, yeah. I've had depression in my life, so I don't mean to make fun of that, but it's just yeah, like yeah. horrible, I mean, man. Horrible. Like all those guys, man, all those bands we grew up with. There's like, it's, it's, uh, what's his face from Pearl Jam? Um, Eddie Vedder and nobody. Yeah. All gone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they were some of the, it's because we were like, they were creating from darkness. Right. And in a creative industry, we're almost like trained to create the darkness because it's where we get our biggest inspiration out of. Right. Like, yeah, as you said, like if you experience that hole, your rock bottom, and you can traverse the other side of it, then the creative inspiration on the other side of it can be great. But I just have to say, after getting there, after getting to this like place of like genuinely not wanting to live anymore and finding my way out, if you will, <laughs> I say out lightly because I think that we all have these points of ourselves where we feel misaligned as part of this human experience because we're bigger than this. Right. And soul, so there's always going to be that piece inside of us that wants to go back home. But finding yourself on the other side of it and then, and then knowing that actually the biggest creative genius is when you are in flow state, when you have access to your full potential, when you're happy, when you're grounded, when you're centered, when you feel harmony in your life, when you don't feel the pressure to produce for something other than your own desire to create something amazing. That's where true genius comes from. So we can stop perpetuating this you have to be at rock bottom to be an amazing creative artist. You actually can be at the top of your game. You can be in full alignment and have access to all of your superpowers and you will create something far greater than you ever create from the bottom. And not that we have to avoid the bottom. The bottom is, I would say, part of the human experience. We all go through finding ourselves at the lowest point in our lives so that, and it is, in my experience, only a reflection of how far, how high we have to go on the other side. Life doesn't and, stop, right? Life doesn't stop. Yeah, you can play the highs and lows, or you can find your way to harmony, where the highs and lows are no longer what drives you, but rather you find that balance and that center, and that just going with the flow and just Something responding. Yeah, yeah, responding to life with grace and dignity and staying true to who you are. And yeah, that feels really nice to me. <laughs> well, I don't think it's any coincidence that we ended up on this podcast together. I think something's happened for a reason. And yeah. I appreciate this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. And I am so excited for what's to come. We have many guests lined up that we've already started recording that. And so we're really, we're going inside the echo chamber. We're going outside of the echo chamber and we're going to bring in some really new ideas and some new deep conversations about our role as marketers and how we can wake up as an industry so that we can turn around and help wake up the world because we have such a beautiful opportunity. And I will say the energies are ripe for transformation. Music for the Conscious Marketing Podcast is provided by Sophia Fleming. Please check out our new album, Collection of Reflections. Just search for Sophia Fleming online. Thank you for joining the Conscious Marketing Podcast and taking a look in the mirror with us. We hope you found you learned something new about yourself and have another tool to help raise the bar of consciousness in our industry. If you liked what you heard, 
please take the time to give us a review. Every review matters and helps another marketer find their way here. Want to have next week's episode automatically queued up for your commute? Remember to subscribe before you leave. We thank you for your support. Please go to ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com for show notes, links, and other awesome resources. It is our honor to serve you. Now, let's go change the world.